Thank you. Be seated, please. Uh, it is a joy to be here, and uh, I was a little bit feeling a little bit challenged right after Thanksgiving. I've never come to preach in a chapel right after Thanksgiving, but I do want to air a grievance, if I may. You guys had a whole week off this past week. Now, that's a blessing for you, but I just, I don't want to get up and preach with bitterness in my heart or anything like that. And I think back to when I was a student, we got like two days, two days. Now, that was a good two days, but you guys got a whole week. I hope you thank the Lord for that. That's a blessing. Uh, I just didn't want to be bitter looking at you all rested and, and uh, full of uh, holiday cheer, and I didn't want to just be bitter about that. Uh, and, uh, but it was a blessing for us. Uh, to have uh, my son Charlie come home for Thanksgiving. I know some of you weren't able to do that, but we were able to have him come home. My wife was like, a whole week, get him home. So we were able to have him come home, and he traveled with me yesterday. We were flying on the plane, coming down to California, and, and uh, that was fun. I was, we, we had, a, we had a, uh, our seats, our row, uh, was right over the wing. Uh, and that's always fun when you fly and you're over the wing and you see it kind of flapping and flexing. And, and uh, a couple years ago, uh, I was flying to the leadership conference here in Lancaster. It had some of our staff and some folks from our church with us. And one of our deacons works for Alaska Airlines. In fact, he's in charge of their entire maintenance operation. He's, he's over all the mechanics and everything. And of course, Seattle's the hub for Alaska Airlines. So we're we're on the plane. His seat was like, I think, a couple rows ahead of mine, and uh, we're right about where the wings are. And uh, he comes to me in the middle of the flight, and he says, hey, check this out. And he shows me a picture that he took from the window of our aircraft while we're flying. We're like in the middle of the air and uh, flying to California. And he goes, you see that on the wing? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that is uh, that, that metal's warped and it's corroded. And he's like, I, I just, uh, I just sent, uh, sent this picture off to some of the mechanics and some of the guys back at uh, Alaska. And this is going to be the last flight this plane ever takes. He's like, this plane should not be flying. He's like, no, it's not going to crash or anything, but, but this, is, this plane's done. we got to retire it. And I just thought, oh, man, I wonder when we get to heaven if God's going to be like, yeah, you remember that flight that you took? Uh, I was holding the wings on for you. And uh, I don't know, but, uh, but we were there. And, and so I'm looking over the wing. It's kind of flapping. And I had this morbid thought. And the thought was, what if, what if a bird hits us right now, right? Bird strikes are kind of a dangerous thing for airplanes. I thought, what if a bird hits us? And I remember a story told, I think I heard it from Pastor Chapel many a time about the FAA came up with a way to test their aircraft against bird strikes, specifically the windshields on the aircraft. And they came up with something that is now famously known as the chicken gun. Some of you may have heard of that. They loaded a chicken into a dead chicken into this chicken launcher and they would just they would just uh, launch this chicken into the windshields to test their strength in case uh, you know a bird would hit the airplane so I'm remembering that and uh, as the story goes apparently the uh, there was uh, some engineers some railroad engineers in the UK that uh, said hey can we borrow the chicken gun because we want to test that on our high-speed locomotives our high-speed trains and they did that, and they did their tests, and they came back to the FAA, and they said, hey, we got a problem. Every time, it breaks the windshields. In fact, it just shatters, it shatters the whole engineer compartment. It's like, it's, uh, what, are you, how, what are we doing wrong? 
And uh, they said, well, send us uh, your procedures and all that. They looked it over. They came back and they said, we got one recommendation for you. Be sure to thaw the chicken before you launch it. You know, sometimes, sometimes we get one important truth makes all the difference. Amen. Sometimes just kind of understanding something that we didn't understand before, but once it's brought to light and we understand that it can make a big difference. We don't want to miss out on some of the important instructions that, that we need. And so uh, I uh, heard about, uh, so, I, so I had this thought. I'm on the plane. I'm thinking about the bird strikes. I'm just kind of, you know, trying to kind of dismiss that thought, right? That's not a fun thing to think about when you're on the aircraft. And, uh, and I had this thought, Dr. R, I thought, because I was thinking about Thanksgiving and everything, and I thought, I'm glad that turkeys can't fly. Can you imagine that, if turkeys could fly? I mean, they would probably be wanting to migrate out of the U.S. every Thanksgiving time, right? Get out of here, it's Thanksgiving, they're going to get us. And so they're getting out and hitting planes, that would be bad. But um, So Charlie's our oldest, he's 19, and uh, uh, he's, he's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love Charlie. But honestly, I have to say, where is Charlie, by the way? There he is. Hey, uh, and he would agree with this. The star of our family is our youngest, Clint, Charlie's little brother. He just turned four years old. And uh, if you talk to Clint, if he was here with me and you said, hey, Clint, he would immediately interrupt you. And he would say, no, 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 I'm not Clint. I'm a big beast. He's kind of in that little boy mode. He wants, he's a big beast all the time right now. But we, were, uh, we had Charlie home for Thanksgiving, and we were enjoying that together. And uh, he came up with a new one. He said, uh, no, 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 I'm not a big beast. Okay, okay, Clint. He said, I'm a big beast turkey. And so now he's a big beast turkey. And I looked around, and I, I, I looked at my wife, and I looked at my kids, and I said, am I the only one that's truly terrified by that mental picture of a big beast turkey? You're either terrified by that or you're tantalized by that, right? I mean, only thing that can make turkey better at Thanksgiving is if it was a big beast turkey, right? Am I right? And uh, so uh, something like that, and uh, that's a great thing. But let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. I heard about a teacher back at the time where teachers were teaching through Zoom online. She was teaching her class of little elementary age children uh, about why turkeys don't fly. And uh, she was trying to explain it and get the message across. And really the answer was simple. Turkeys don't fly because they're too big. They're too heavy. But she's trying to kind of convey that. And the kids were kind of looking at her and they're not really getting the point. And, and uh, so she uh, quickly ran to her kitchen where she had a a turkey that she was going to be ready to cook for Thanksgiving. She brings this, this, this turkey, this Thanksgiving turkey that's not cooked, and she puts it in front of the camera there, and she's, she's trying to illustrate how uh, turkeys can't fly because they're too big and they're too heavy. And she's kind of pantomiming the, the motions of the turkey flying. It's too big. It can't get off the ground. So she said, so class, why can't the turkey fly? And, uh, and, and a little boy raised his voice right off the bat, and he said, because it's dead. And so, and obviously he missed the point too. And so uh, I want to share a truth with you this morning, and I hope that as we go through this, uh, we'll get the point, uh, that it's not going to kind of uh, zing right past us, and, and we might miss something that God has for us. I want to be a blessing, but if you have your Bibles, take them, and in Ephesians chapter number four, look with me, we're going to look at just 
three verses and then we'll dive into the message. Verse 20 through 22, excuse me, through 24. And I want to bring a message simply entitled the new man. That's what the apostle Paul is speaking about here, but really God's speaking about it to us through his word here in this passage of scripture. And in verse number 22, the Bible says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In England during World War II, the, uh, when, when the, the, the German bombers would come over London or uh, places like that and drop their bombs and create massive destruction throughout the city areas of, of England, they, there was a practice that became widely known. Uh, shopkeepers or people who owned uh, proprietors of maybe a, a business, they would, they would quickly clear away what rubble that they could and they would put up a sign. In fact, you could do just a simple Google search and see a lot of evidence to this happening during World War II. They would put up a sign and, and it was sort of a, a symbol of their uh, resilience. It was a symbol of their defiance against the enemies that would come and attack them and try to do them harm. And the sign that they would put up in their business after they would sweep up the broken glass and again, try to clean up what they could, whatever merchandise they had left, they would put it out. And they wanted people to kind of continue going on with life. And so they put up a sign that said, business as usual. Business as usual. And we see that, of course, uh, what a great slogan that was. It talked. Uh, it was a, a, a sign of their determination and, and uh, their resilience to go on. But as we think about that sign, business as usual, uh, as I thought about that, I came across another sign that I saw in a picture taking place in uh, England during World War II. It was some members of the Royal Air Force, and they had uh, captured some German fighter airplanes. And the fighter airplanes were lined up there, and now, of course, the Allied forces had sort of commandeered those airplanes. It belonged to them, and they put up a sign sort of as their sign of, hey, you're not going to beat us. And the sign said this, under new management. And I thought to myself, well, that's a, that's a way better slogan for a Christian to live by, isn't it? Sometimes if we're not careful, we can fall into the mode where it's just kind of business as usual. But I want to encourage you today that really a better mantra, if you will, for our daily lives, a better principle to live by would be, God, I want to be under new management. And if you're saved, indeed, we have the Holy Spirit in us and we should be under completely new management in our lives. We're not to conduct business as usual. We're to live differently. We see the context of this passage here is, is really speaking about that. In verse number 17, it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with Greediness, but then notice verse number 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. 
Paul is addressing the Ephesian Christians and he's challenging them about living, if you will, under new management. Ye have not so learned Christ. We're not to just sort of conduct our lives business as usual like everybody else. And so how do we do that? How do we access this reality daily of being under new management? Well, Paul introduces this concept, this teaching of the new man. And we see that we're to walk differently. And this different walk is embodied in what the Bible calls the new man. And when we walk as the new man in our lives every day, we reflect three spiritual processes that are so vitally important. And I want to focus the rest of our message on those three spiritual processes that every Christian should be reflecting. The first we find in verse number 22, and it's the process of relocation. Notice this with me, if you would, in verse number 22, again, it says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. This term put off comes from a Greek word that means to put away or to cast off or to lay aside. The idea behind this term was really that of uh, removing garments. Like we would take off a garment and, and, uh, and lay it aside, cast it aside, if you will, relocate it away from us. I heard about a sign in the window of a dry cleaning establishment that once said, if your clothes aren't becoming to you, they should be coming to us. And uh, that might be a clever slogan for a dry cleaners, but that is not a wise slogan for a Christian to live by concerning the new man. You see, what Paul was not teaching was that we should just sort of try our best to clean up the old garments of sin in our lives and then wear them again. No, we see that God has given us something better. God has given us something new. It's Christ in us. It's the new man. It's the new nature that we received when we trusted Christ as our Savior. But every day, we have to cast off the old man, relocate it away from us, and put on the new man. This relocation is necessary, according to God's word here, for two specific reasons. First, because it is past. Paul says you need to relocate or remove or cast off, put off the old man because it is past. Notice this again in verse 22. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6, the Bible says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Perhaps one of the greatest illustrations of this in the Word of God and in the Gospels in particular is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This was all about uh, a newness of life, the old being passed. And in John chapter 11, in verse number 44, the Bible says, And uh, he that was dead came forth and bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. One of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry, raising Lazarus from the dead. But yet we see that oftentimes that uh, when God does something extraordinary, he requires his children first to do the ordinary. 
And in this case, it was, hey, uh, remove the stone from the tomb. That was an ordinary thing. But in so doing, it was exercising faith in Jesus' word. And then loose him and let him go. They had to do something ordinary. But we see all of that was signifying and picturing something beautiful, something different and new. And it was the new man. Putting off the old man. But Lazarus wasn't going to go forth for the rest of his life wearing the old grave clothes. No, he was dead, but now he was alive. His life was totally different now. And we see that that is a picture for you and I as we consider putting on the new man in our lives every day. Not only should we relocate or put off the old man because it is past, but then it also speaks of this. We ought to relocate, if you will, put off the old man because it is putrefying. Not only is it past, but it's putrefying. Notice again what the Bible says. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, watch this, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter spoke of this in verse 3 where he said, According as His, Christ's divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us great and exceeding, uh, excuse me, uh, given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. That's the new man, by the way. Having escaped, don't miss this part, the corruption that is in the world through lust. The old man has deceitful desires that produce corruption in us, just as putrefaction produces corruption in something that is dead. The word here, corrupt, in this verse comes from a Greek term which literally means to shrivel or to wither. Obviously, carrying with it the idea of something dying, life dying, shriveling and withering away, that process of decomposition. It also means to spoil or to waste. And so the Bible says that we're to put off the old man, uh, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. How sad it is that some Christians entertain the former lusts of their spiritual ignorance, isn't it? Sometimes it's so sad when we dabble in entertaining lusts in our lives. And the Bible says, hey, when you do that, if you're going to sow to your flesh, you are of the flesh going to reap corruption. Listen, there's nothing attractive about a corpse. We live in the United States and generally speaking in modern civilizations we, uh, and societies, rather, we have done a good job uh, uh, of trying to insulate or protect people from being exposed to death. It's highly likely that there are people here in this room today, many of you, who maybe you have, maybe, there's somebody here, you've never, uh, apart from just maybe a portrayal on a movie or something like that, or on a, some documentary film, but with your own eyes, you've never actually seen a dead person. And we try to cover that up. If there's an accident with fatalities, immediately the first responders move in and they block, their, they block with their vehicles so people don't necessarily see that. They, if there's a body in the, uh, at the accident scene, they cover it quickly. In hospitals, they don't just uh, carry dead, dead people through the hallways for all to see, right? Why? Because that unsettles us. It's, it bothers us. It's 
We don't like to see that. If you've lived in other countries, sometimes it's not always the case. Many a time when we lived overseas, when we were uh, missionaries, we, we'd be driving through Manila. There was an accident where maybe a motorcyclist had gotten hit by a larger vehicle and the motorcyclist, his deceased body is just laying there. Just laying there. there, there uh, Charlie could tell you there were several times we'd be driving by and we'd say, hey, kids, we're trying to tell, tell them to look over here so they wouldn't see what's on the other side of the vehicle uh, because uh, that's unsettling. Nobody likes to be around that kind of thing. It fills us with horror. Sometimes it fills us with disgust. I'm simply trying to point out the fact that corruption bothers us. Corruption is offensive. You, you can't live around that for very long. You, you, if you've ever had like a, uh, when we lived in the Philippines, we would often have, and we would have pest control come once a month to our house, and we kept a clean house. It wasn't because of that, uh, but uh, you could not keep the cockroaches or the rats out of your house, no matter how hard you tried. That's just, it's just the way it was, and oftentimes, every once in a while, we'd put out traps, poison, all that kind of stuff, and every once in a while, uh, something would die, and it was in a place where you couldn't see it, but you started to know what had happened because you could, you could smell it. You could smell that decay, that, that putrefying stench. And you would have to quickly figure out where that was coming from because you can't live with that for very long. It's offensive. It's, it's, it's corrupt. Nobody wants to share life with death. Nobody wants to share life with a corpse. And so Paul says here in verse 22, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. It's past, but it's putrefying. You want to toxify your life in a hurry? Just hold on to and retain some of those deceitful lusts of the old man. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, Paul told the Corinthians, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Sometimes we can even surround ourselves with the things of corruption, and we ought to guard against that. Why? Because this is all a part of this spiritual process of relocation. And when we decide to put off the old man every day, and put on the new man, we are reflecting this spiritual process of relocation. In Galatians 6, verse 8, the Bible says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. But not only should we reflect relocation, but we see that when we put off the old man and put on the new man every day, we also reflect the process of renovation. Look at this, if you would, very quickly in verse number 23. The Bible says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How many of you ever heard the term, you are what you eat? Have you heard something like that, right? And uh, there, I guess physically speaking, there's some truth to that, right? If you're feasting on junk food all the time, well then physically you're going to reap the benefits of that, right? Uh, or lack thereof. And physically we are what we eat. But spiritually, we are what we think. In Proverbs 23, 7, Solomon said, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is a 
spiritual truth. As the mind understands God's truth, we see that God's truth gradually transforms our thinking. Here it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think of Romans chapter 12 where the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That's attached to this idea or this spiritual process of renovation. As the mind understands God's word, it's transformed by the Holy Spirit. And this renewal leads to a change in our lives. Renovation is the process of taking something old and making it new. And every day you and I need to cast off the old and we need to put on the new man. We need to undergo, if you will, sort of this little renovation every day in our lives. I heard about some scientists that studied a native tribe in South America whose people had been dying prematurely for generations. And they were trying to figure out what was causing this uh, trend in uh, this tribe. And so they investigated and they decided and determined that the cause of premature death was due to a disease that was transmitted by an insect that lived in the walls of their earthen homes. And so once that revelation came to light, once this knowledge was presented, they, they, the, the scientists uh, offered some, some options uh, to the tribe's people. They, 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 they could move to another area where the insects did not exist, the other option was to be to tear down their homes and rebuild them. Another option was to use insecticide to rid their homes of the bugs. Or, of course, as an option, they could just not do anything. And they could just kind of live life as they always have. And they could continue to die at an early age. And surprisingly to all the scientists, the tribe chose to remain the same and do nothing about their problem. And if we're not careful, sometimes spiritually we can do the same thing. God's word can bring to light something in our lives that needs to be dealt with and we decide to do nothing and remain as we are. But God tells us in his word, hey, I not only want you to put off the old man, that's relocation, but I want you to be renewed every day in the spirit of your mind, having renewed thinking, having renovated thinking, taking the old and making it new again. The word renewed here comes from a Greek word, which actually means to renovate. The Old Testament and New Testament words relating uh, here to the renewal of the mind, carry with it the idea of rebuilding and repairing and renovating. And we see these terms used throughout the Word of God, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old as well. For example, in Psalm 51, in verse number 10, David's penitent psalm, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, watch this, and renew a right spirit within me. Renovate. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, we, we saw this already, but the, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To the Colossians, Paul wrote this in Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge 
after the image of him that created him. Do you see this renewal of thinking? It's all throughout the word of God. And God says, I want you to undergo that renovation process every single day as you yield and surrender to me. Titus said in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Watch this. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Are you putting off the old man each day and deciding intentionally to put on the new man, to yield to the Holy Spirit's control in your life, to allow your life to reflect relocation, casting off the darkness and putting on light? Are you reflecting this process of renovation? Is your mind, your thinking being renewed or transformed day by day through God's truth? That's God's desire for every single one of us. But there's a third process, and that is the process of regeneration. As we put on the new man, God wants us to reflect the process that the Holy Spirit has accomplished in our lives, the process of regeneration. Christ in us. Notice verse number 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now I'm sure that some of you know this already and from your uh, doctrine classes and the old man is the Adamic nature. The new man is our new nature which we have received from Christ. It's the nature of Christ. And just as we inherited Adam's fallen nature by our natural birth, we inherit Christ. We receive Christ's nature by being born again, the new birth. In fact, the Bible talks about this in Romans 5, in verse number 17, when it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one man shall many be made righteous. If you're saved today, how many of you are thankful that you have a new nature? But we need to reflect that. We need to manifest that. Evidence it every single day. How do we do that? Well, we've got to relocate the old man. Cast him off. We've got to be renovated. The renewing of our mind. And then we've got to put on the new man. And we find what's interesting here is when uh, Christ says, put on the new man, he says this, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This word created, I love to define words, and maybe you want to underline that, but the word created here, again, comes from a Greek word, which means to fabricate. It's an interesting word. It actually carries with it the idea of a foundry. How many of you know what a foundry is? Where metals are, uh, are, are melted down and poured into some sort of form or mold so that they can be shapen into an image. And God says that we put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness 
and true holiness. God says, I want you to be poured into my image. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. When we allow ourselves to uh, conform to Christ's image, when we allow Christ to live through us every single day, we're reflecting that process of regeneration. I, uh, the, the Bible talks about this in Romans 6, 4. For example, it says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. God says as we are poured into his mold, if you will, conformed to his image, we can walk in the power of his resurrection. We can show uh, and experience and live the resurrection life that he has called us to live. I heard about a little boy who was in his church's Easter program. And he was playing the angel at the tomb, right? And so when the women showed up that day and the tomb was empty, his, he, his line was to say, he's not here, he is risen. The problem was this little guy got so nervous and when the time came for him to recite his lines, he blanked out, totally forgot what he was supposed to say. So he looked at his mom on the front row who was there to help him and she was trying to mouth his lines to jog his memory. He's not here. He is risen. And as soon as she mouthed those words, his face lit up. He remembered his lines and he said, he's not here. He's in prison. <laughs> and how sad it is that sometimes our life sadly might resemble that line rather than the former He's not here. He is risen. We have a choice every day. We can allow our lives uh, to, uh, to, 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 to retain the image of the old man, still wear the corrupt rags to resemble someone who's still in the prison of sin instead of one who has been risen by Christ. It's our choice. Business as usual or under new management. You have that choice today. You have that choice tomorrow, and so do I. And righteousness and true holiness marked the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we choose to put on the new man, righteousness and holiness can be seen in our lives as well. And so I close with these verses in Romans 13 and verse 12 through 14. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Again, what is going to be the slogan of your life? What sign, if you will, are you going to place out in front of your daily living? Business as usual? Or by the grace of God, will it be every day? No, no, no. Under new management.